Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about Rob's recent hunt, the challenges of potty training, changing out stock hooks on hard baits, and we wrap up with a couple of final interesting tidbits from the bass tracking study we talked about last week. Hope you guys enjoy. Is uh, I can't charge my laptop. I'm at 82%, so that's probably going to be my shortcoming. So. All right. So all the listeners heard that. So we're going to get everything we can get into this 82% and um, hopefully it's good enough. We're not, we don't have a hundred percent this morning, guys. We're at 82%. It's early. Nick's laptop is, uh, is going to die. So hopefully we can give you a good podcast. Even and though Josh, it not be as long as normal. He says that's his only shortcoming. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess truth be told, 82% is pretty good. I'd that's say most things in my life right now at about 35%. So. That's a good point, dude. I think a lot of us <laughs> rarely operate much higher than 82%. That's a good <laughs> point. Uh, well, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. We uh, are at you, coming at you on a really early Sunday morning again. Nick's up in Flagstaff uh, podcasting out of a van. Um, Rob and I are down in by our the usual river. haunts, but yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's in a van down by the river. What, uh, what's going on with you guys? Uh, Rob, I'll, I'll start with you, man. What's new? Uh, not a lot new other than, um, I went deer hunting last weekend. We, um, it was, it was good and bad. Um, the good part is we got out and, uh, found a really good buck, a really good quality buck, probably a, a bigger buck than, uh, either Boyd or I have ever killed. And, uh, uh, the bad part was is, and I'm going to blame everything on COVID again, but, um, he had COVID. No, Did the deer have COVID? Yeah, the deer had no, COVID. but our timing had COVID. So we, we always put in for this hunt. So Boyd is done with his, um, his college fall ball, right? They do fall ball every fall and, um, usually he's done with it. So we put in for this specific hunt. Well, COVID pushed everything back. So they're right in the middle of fall ball. So he has one day off a week, uh, which happened to be Monday. Uh, so he made it up Sunday evening, um, hunted the, the afternoon or evening, probably an hour and a half in the evening, um, we did not see that big deer again. We got up there on Friday to scout. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, we saw the deer Friday morning. Uh, that's when we found him initially. Um, and then we didn't see him Saturday. The weather was pretty rough. Uh, and then we saw him again Sunday morning and Boyd got up there Sunday evening. We did not see him. And then Monday, the weather was just a mess. I mean, it was, uh, snowing up in the high stuff and raining down where we were. And, uh, just ended up kind of screwing it up. So halfway through the day, um, I decided to pack everything up and we moved a couple hours. I know that doesn't sound like a couple hours in this country is, uh, not very far, but, um, feet. yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a completely different area of the unit, but it takes a long time to get there. Anyhow, we did, we ended up seeing a bunch of bucks, just never got in on one. Uh, ended up being an all right day, but most people that hunt these coos deer realize that time is, I mean, you need time, you need days to, to make everything come together and it just didn't. But, uh, the good of it is we found a good buck. The bad is we just didn't have time to get it done. So, but it was fun. Uh, one of Boyd's teammates came up with him. Uh, uh, Cam Denny, he's from, uh, Indiana 
uh, used to sitting in tree stands hunting whitetail, and I think this was a completely different deal for him. No so, kidding. Yeah, it was just kind of cool. To How much him. hiking did you guys do, man? Like, if you we had didn't a do guess. a ton because we okay. were just we were glass and just find a, trying to find a buck, and then um, it was really funny because once we made that move and we started seeing more deer, we sit down and literally like five minutes in. Boyd's like, I got a buck. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. So we find this, and he's actually like, we could have shot him from where we were. And it was this little teeny two pointer. Oh. <laughs> and my buddy Les is like, man, you better shoot that deer. <laughs> and Alex is like, he's kind of like me. He's just quiet. And Cam, his buddy Cam's like, I'm going to film it, Boyd. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. So <laughs> we'd resisted that uh, pressure and did not shoot him, thank goodness. But, what would he uh, like thought afterwards if he did, dude? Like, would he have been like, you know, very just, like uh, whatever about it. Or, like, is is he glad that he held off even though he yeah, didn't absolutely. get one? Absolutely. I mean, it. Like, I don't judge people on the deer they shoot, but we just want to shoot mature deer if we can. You know what I mean? And it's it's just our thing. It has nothing to do with anybody else. You know what I mean? And this was a you know a couple year old deer at the most, so just not one we want to shoot. So. Is that kind of like the fishing equivalent when you catch one on your first cast, you're screwed for the rest of the day? If you if you see one within like the first 10 minutes, is the trip shot after that? I guess possibly. I never really thought. <laughs> Maybe of that's that. what happened. Possibly. Maybe you don't so, want to see anything for like the first three hours. and then Well, you're like, this okay. was late in the day, though. It was just oh, our okay. new spot. So I don't know if I would consider it the first. You know what I mean? As well. It wasn't early enough to count in that yeah. scenario. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was all in all, it was a good. Uh, adventure i guess is what we'd call it um you know we spent quite a few nights in the wall tent the weather went from uh friday night sleeping on top of the sleeping bag to <laughs> uh, you know rain and cold and like not terrible weather but just it drastically dropped in temperature and so but it was fun if we would have ended up getting on that big buck like if we could have if we would have seen him i mean we would have had a hike in a half i mean it was that dude was in some gnarly country but that's why he's big so i was gonna say that's how he's lived so long right next yeah. year dude yeah yeah so it was fun we get um that's that and then i've been back home uh just back in my remodeling mode trying to trudge through this and get uh get stuff done so i can get back to normal life which is still a long ways out but that's what i've been up to yeah right on hey how uh how warm can that wall tent be like when it's freezing cold outside can you guys get it to a pretty comfortable temp in there where you're not like having to sleep in a crazy sleeping bag yeah so the wall tent like i've spent uh alex and i spent a night in it one night we moved we put it up on top of this uh, mesa in an area that we had to bring it up there with uh, the side-by-sides so the polaris ranger we brought it up there um and I'm like, ah, we don't need the stove. We can tough it out this one night, and then I'll bring the stove when we start the hunt. Well, it was like 15 degrees that oh. night. It was absolutely Ooh. terrible. I mean, it, so we had one of those little propane, little teeny propane heaters. I'm like, this will get us good. We'll be we'll be good for this night. And I equate that to like if you spent a night in it and it's 110 degrees and you had an ice block in the corner. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what that stove. No, not at all. But Did you sleep at all? Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty good bag. I think Alex struggled a little bit. Really? It was cold. Anyhow, that was a couple years ago. But I have a uh, wood-burning stove that goes in it. It's just a beast to move around, big steel stove with a stack that goes out of the top of the tent. 
and it can be snowing outside and you can be inside without a shirt on and be sweating that when the wood's going but obviously you know it burns out pretty quick but it'll get it'll get unbearably hot in there so that's cool yeah but it was comfortable we didn't have the stove this this week it was uh i don't know i bet it was 40 degrees and um you know you get up in the morning turn the lanterns on cook some coffee in there you know turn the little stove on and burn some coffee and it warms up enough to where it's comfortable so right on nick how about you dude what uh, the heck are you doing up there dude yeah uh, good question i don't know if i know exactly what i'm doing here either i uh i have to send a shout out to all the single parents across the world i my wife's birthday was last week and so kind of one thing that uh, we tried to do for her is carve out a little space for her to go on a vacation by herself and i would hold down the fort with all 283 of my offspring and we're going on day five and uh <laughs> she's coming home today and uh i tell you what man it's been it's been a week something something else it's uh it's all been good i i, I jokingly say everyone's alive they're relatively clean and they're fat. So, like, I think that's pretty I good, think bro. Checked all the boxes, right? I yeah, mean, you like, did good. Last I know, my house was still standing when I drove up to Flagstaff to see my brother yesterday with him. So, I don't know, man. It's uh, that's kind of been the theme of the week, though. It's it's crazy trying to juggle, like, you know, taking kids. Luckily, it started on Wednesday, and uh, that was Veterans Day, and and they had a day off from school for that. So that was actually kind of easier because. I could just, we, we just did an act. We went to the zoo and hung out. But then when I'm trying to bounce around and do everything else, it's been, it's been a crazy week, but, uh, all is pretty good. I'm up here in Flagstaff visiting my brother. My dad, uh, is done. Well, he's about to become a snowbird. Uh, he's coming down from Wyoming. So we intercepted him and then he's going to finish the drive down. And it's pretty funny. You mentioned I'm sitting in the van down by the river. It's technically in his driveway, but my sweet loving father is responsible for figuring out what to do with my infant when he wakes up and I see him scrambling around like a Chinese fire drill right now. I think he's getting ready to put Max in the, in the car seat and go for a drive. Max is an animal in the morning. That kid wakes up and he's like, I need like 12 ounces of milk. I need all the yogurt, all the bananas and all your attention. And if I don't get any of that, like, so my dad's getting a little baptism by fire and it's a, it's pretty entertaining from this spot because I've got the seat warmers on, you know, it's a balmy 22 degrees out here this morning and uh, I'm not having to deal with that. So I wish him good luck. Well, we're going to owe him a, a fishing trip after this, dude. Nah, he, he lives in my house rent free, so he still has a pretty big debt to me. So he'll <laughs> yeah. keep away at that debt right now. <laughs> that is funny. I can picture it right now, dude. I'm, th- I'm thinking about him. Yeah, yeah, dude, my son, my, my infant, is uh, maybe it's because he's like the bottom of the totem pole. He fights for everything he gets, man. He's loud and knows what he wants. <laughs> Good so for him, dude. Josh? Not much here, man. I got back from Florida on Wednesday. I think I talked to you uh, right when uh, your wife had left town, and I was driving back from Florida. You know, So I finished up with my cup, and um, can't talk about how it went, obviously, uh, just with the, the cup rules, but um, had a fun week. We fished during a hurricane. I mean, literally, it wasn't <laughs> like one of those hurricanes that you know, was a, a danger to our lives, but it was from the minute I got to Florida until the minute I left, it rained. And the wind blew 20 to 30 miles an hour. It was just like 
not ideal fishing conditions, not ideal conditions to be out there. And, um, you know, when I made my last cast, when I was done fishing, I got in my truck and just got to drier weather as quick as possible. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I debated. I'm like, am I going to stay one more night? And I'm like, no, get out of here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got out of there and I was so thankful to get back to get into like Texas where it was just dry again. And I'm ready for uh <laughs> for a nice dry winter that was you know I, i'm always complaining about uh getting my gear wet and soaked at tournaments and things getting rusted and molded and and you know just just wet and um i had one you know i thought i was done with that right the regular season's over everything's dried out and organized and now if you guys saw my garage you would you'd laugh because all my stuff is splayed out again, and uh, it's 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 dry now. But um, it was one last event to make me even more disorganized going into the off season. So that <laughs> that was a little bit uh, annoying, but um, it's all good. Um, since I've been back home, I've just been kind of unwrapping my truck. Um, we're potty training my son, so that's hey. always an interesting <laughs> couple weeks. Hopefully, just a couple weeks. But yeah, I mean, basically. I'm just following around with a with a roll of paper towels <laughs> and just cleaning up over and over and over again. So, oh, that's awesome. Well, at yeah. least if you if you, paper towels inferring that maybe it's like on the number one end of things. Well, yeah. So, and, and we're only two days in, dude. Oh. So, like, I remember our daughter when it was time for number two, she would like she was just really nervous to do it, and like, uh. so she would hold it for like a couple days compared to like normal you know what i mean so yeah. like we didn't have too many of those accents but my son doesn't seem to have many issues <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, oh, was, my wife had been had been following him around for a while and, and when she it was my turn to take over she literally walks into the other room and closes the door and as soon as that door closes uh it's time for number two for my son so i was like oh man but anyways oh. that's that's going to be kind of, I think, the theme for the next few days in our house is just, just clean up. Holding on for dear life. Clean up <laughs> yeah. in aisle six. I know it'll be worth it in the end, but it's a tough couple weeks. Jeez. Go ahead, Rob. Josh, I have a question about um, what do some of your buddies that, say, live in Florida, how do they dry their stuff out? I mean, we're fortunate in Arizona. It's a real dry, arid climate. And stuff just dries out, right? You really don't have to do a whole lot. What What do some of those guys do? I mean, obviously, if their boat's not in a garage, it's really tough, I would imagine. That's a good question, dude. You know, that's just something that I'm going to have to ask about because I just don't know. Like, it's, uh, it's super important to stay ahead of things, right? And as soon as their stuff gets wet, you know, how do they how do they get it dry? They get the the quicker you can get it dry, the better. But, um, dude, there was a it's a funny story. One of my buddies had been um, rooming with Bobby Lane at a tournament a long time ago, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. And Bobby's of course from Florida. He's a, he's a real native. And um, you know, I don't know if Bobby has any scientific ways on drying things out, but one of the funniest things ever, Bobby had like crashed out early. It was at the end of a practice day or the end of a <clears throat> day. And he had his rod lockers open airing out, you know, and uh, my buddy comes running in, you know, it's like eight or nine o'clock. And he's like, Bobby, it's starting to rain, dude. Your rod lockers are all open. Uh, <laughs> you want me to close them? He's like, I don't care. I'm trying to sleep. 
Just let me sleep. Close him if you want to close him. I don't care. Just leave me alone. <laughs> uh, he wasn't too concerned about it, but he might have some good ways to uh, to dry things out. I'm going to have to ask. They're just used to stuff being wet and moldy, probably. And just like It's just the life of the South, I think, man. Like the humidity and the moisture. Yeah. It's it's probably, yeah, I, I guess you just get used to it. Because it is funny. Like, like I can tell it's getting you know cooler in Arizona. Because do your knuckles start cracking and bleeding like oh, crazy? Oh, sure. Dude, I have just like the bloodiest knuckles. I wish I had like a cool story for punching somebody, but it's like, no, I just wash my hands a lot in a pandemic and now I have bloody knuckles. Yeah, it's just dry. That's for sure. 100%. Yeah, the sanitizing and uh, washing is not helping that as far as <laughs> keeping your hands moist. But um, <laughs> it's a good question, Rob. If it, well, And for, OK, if any of the listeners have any good tips on that, that's one thing. But um, I guess what, you know, uh, one thing that is also really important if you're fishing out of a boat is making sure everything drains, right? Like, um, one of the cool things about the storage compartments in the back of nitros is they're removable, right? And they're plastic. So, like, at first glance, you say, oh, it's not glassed in, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't look maybe quite as, as high-end as a, a compartment that's glassed in. But the advantage here is... Um, you can pull these bins out and like uh, uh, you drill a hole actually in the back. That way, if you ever do get water in, um, and you could drill a hole out of out of any anything, but just making sure that you don't ever get any sitting or standing water in a boat, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that's a really big deal. But um, if we have any listeners from the southeast that have tips on preventing like mold, that would be uh, something that would be received well by us for sure. Um. So we've got a Robbie, couple Q&As. Oh, did I miss it? Rob, I saw the finger. Yeah, just, please, just one other thing. I'm, I'm just tearing apart your uh, <laughs> what you're talking about. The, um, the tournament in Florida. Like, I absolutely hate the fact that we cannot talk about that tournament, that it's quiet. And I get what they're doing. Uh, I just want your take on this. I think, like, the general f- fan base of bass fishing – like would love to know what happened immediately because everything is so immediate, right? Yep. And the folks that they are trying to target, let's say on Discovery Channel, they're not in the general. They're different people. They're different people, like right. So, what's your take on that? Do you wish they would allow everybody to know what happens in those tournaments right from right from the get go? The people that are in the know, and then just let the people that are not in the know, watch it on TV and enjoy it in that aspect? Or are there guys that are in the know that enjoy not knowing what's going on and watching it on TV? That's a good question, dude. You know, I, hopefully that came across right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I get what you're saying and I get why they do it the way they do it. They're also talking about changing it up in the future. So, um, you know, it's, I personally, like, you know, from a selfish angler standpoint, I wish it was all live, right? You know, right. just because that's more coverage. And, um, you know, when you go have a bad tournament, everyone knows it. You have a good tournament, everyone knows it right away. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it. I think from my, from a fisherman's perspective, it does maybe get watered down a little bit if it comes out three or four months later, right? It's like, sure. oh, congrats. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, but, uh I, I get why they do it to get the maximum ratings uh, possible. So we'll see, man. Um, I, and also, you know, that does add a there's a cost element added to the live coverage and stuff too. And um, you know, it's it's not cheap at all to to live stream an event with 
with the production costs that go into that. So hopefully, hopefully they can figure out how to do that. Um, I think I'd love to see it, but you know, either yeah, way, they're, they're they're fun to fish. Yeah, if there's anything major league fishing's all about is trying new things, right? They're sure. they're not afraid to to try new things. So that that's commendable. And like you said, if they have some different things switching up in the future, that would seem like par for the course too. Yeah, heck yeah, man, uh, no doubt. So yeah, like, and you know, speaking of that, Jordan, um, just like yesterday, they aired the uh, World Championship, which is like the championship from the cups. Um, they aired that thing. Uh, the finals yesterday and Jordan Lee had won it. So, so we were talking, we were talking to Jordan two weeks ago. We had no idea. <laughs> and when was <laughs> the world tournament? championship winner a couple months ago? So a couple uh, months ago, what a year he had. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, uh, throw some more <laughs> money Jordan's way. It's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> I still don't feel bad about beating him in fantasy football. It Heck makes no. me even happier. I beat him in that. Hey, we all got to take our W's somewhere. Yeah, 100%. That's a good question, though, man. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future there. Um, moving on to some Q and A, we got a couple good questions this week. So thanks again from for the listeners for sending these in and uh, keep sending them our way because makes uh, gives gives us a lot of good stuff to talk about. First question would be. Do you ever upsize or downsize hooks on crankbaits and jerkbaits, and why? Let's uh, break it down by bait. So let's talk about jerkbaits first. Do you guys ever do this on jerkbaits? Yeah, jerkbait, the main reason would be the weight of the hook to maybe help help it suspend a little bit. Uh, I'm never going to downsize just because that's not the right direction to go. But uh, let's say you have a suspending jerkbait, and it's just not suspending right it's maybe coming up a little bit and you can put a little bit heavier hook on it and get it to weight it down a little bit but then in turn you obviously a heavier hook's probably not ideal on a jerk bait either um, due to penetration but you can definitely put a little heavier on there and get away with it but yeah more that's from my just take a balancing aspect right that's kind of yeah. the takeaway yeah and you can get fancy with that too like i totally agree rob um you can get fancy with how you want to make your bait sit in the water. Like, uh, and you could do this with hooks and you could also like one thing that I'll play with, uh, even more than hook size is just weighting the bait. You know, if you've got the right size hooks, if like, if a number, cause you talked about penetration, right. Mm-hmm. And a number six is going to be a little thinner a lot of times than like a number four. So if a number six is the right size hooks, you can do a couple of things. You can use like lead strips and weight the bottom of your bait that way. You can add extra split rings. And, um, you know, one thing that when it gets really cold, some guys will do is they'll actually weight the back of the bait a little bit more, which seems weird. But to make that bait sit a little bit tail down, um, then when you give your bait a super subtle twitch, it just kind of makes it level out and then it sits tail down again. So it gives that bait a little bit different action without you having to move it three, four feet through the water column. You know what I mean? You could just yep. barely tap that rod and make that bait just kind of <clears throat> do that little flutter. Um, so I've heard of guys doing that. And then, uh, you know, so, you know, one thing um, that I'll do also other than changing the hook size is add extra split rings and, um, what that's going to do is it's it's such a subtle change in the weight of your bait 
it's so subtle that you almost don't even really notice it when you're bait sitting still. It's it's actually sinking, but it's sinking so slow it looks like it's suspended. But at the end of your cast, after you've implemented all your pauses, your bait is sitting has has gone gone down an extra two feet. So instead oh. of running four feet, it's run it's run six feet through the cast. And uh, I've seen it make a big difference before. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you guys done that? Try to actually sink your baits down a little bit. I haven't really. I've I've definitely started doing the split ring deal. I know you're the one that showed me that. That's a really cool deal. And for the listeners, I mean, explain to them what you do. It's not that you add another split ring in your hook system. You just put one on next to the other one, right? Yes, it. You know, and you totally could. Um, but yeah, so instead of making those hooks sit kind of like freakishly low. Yeah. Um, I'll just add add another split ring to the hook hanger, and it uh, to me it looks a little bit less gaudy than having the lead strips on the bottom of it, right? If you've got this beautiful painted jerk bait, and then these big gnarly gray <laughs> lead strips on the bottom of it, and the fish are looking up at it, ah, you know, it might not make them not bite it, but it definitely adds an ugly factor to your bait, right? It's like chrome mud flaps on your big dually. Yeah, this beautiful dually, exactly. and then you throw chrome mud flaps on it, you know, like the diamond plate chrome ones. No one's got that's time a, for that. That's a perfect comparison, dude. No doubt. So I don't know. Yeah, I like to to just uh, add them to the hook hanger, and they're kind of out of the way a little bit. And I mean, yeah, it, it's so subtle that you don't really notice that bait sinking, but it is sinking. You know, if it if it sinks an inch every time between every twitch. You know, your bait's got gotten down into their strike zone a little bit more, especially if you're in really clear water. In dirty water, I don't do that, right? Because they're not going to be that deep. But um, in real clear water, that seems to help. And then you don't have to go to a super deep diving jerk bait. Like if you've got a jerk bait that is a dives like a regular depth, has a regular size bill, and you love the action of that bait, you can throw that bait where you would throw a deep diving jerk bait, and it's going to hit that same depth and still get that little bit different action than the deep diver, which is a little more side to side action. The bigger you bill on your jerk bait, the harder it's going to be to get a real erratic side to side. Cause it's going to want to dive down instead of sideways with a starting side to side. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Huh. How about the crankbait? Good call. I was about to blow past it. Um, yeah, for sure. On that one, dude, like, uh, for sure on that one. And I use a lot of extra wide gap hooks on crankbaits. How about you guys? I haven't, but I've, I'm trying to remember who was talking about it. I, I was listening to a deal where a guy's, you know, it might've been Ty Ow was talking about it. Um, how that's a big deal. I mean, the extra wide gap really increases a lot of fish. So, or a lot of fish that bite and increases his home. landing ratio. Hooked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I've just always been a huge fan of changing the hooks on a crankbait. I mean, from factory hooks, the factory hooks are today are probably better than they used to be. But, um, if there's money on the line that you're going to, ch- I'm going to change the hooks to a Gamagatsu or a, a high end hook of some sort. So is it, I, is it from a short striking perspective that you like the extra wide gap too? Or you upsize the back hook, Josh, is that a thing? Well, yeah, so, and that that's a big thing, dude. Like, you talk about short striking. You've got to take into consideration what kind of bait it is and how fish are going to bite it. So, a jerk bait or a topwater, you get a lot more slashing. And a crankbait, you, I mean, they can swallow a crankbait, right? Mm-hmm. 
And um, also kind of depends, like, hey, if you're throwing a crankbait on Lake St. Clair and burning it over grass and smallmouth are, are freight training it from a long, long ways away, they're kind of slashing at that. But mm-hmm. if you are, you know, crawling a crawfish colored crankbait through rocks and you got it a little bit slower, you know, fish are going to engulf that thing. So the, the more fish tend to slash, I still, I like round bends because that will snag a fish better than an EWG just because of the angle of it. But anytime that fish can engulf a bait, I like the EWGs and, and I'll go as big as I can without them hooking on each other or impacting the action of the bait. And most crankbaits, okay. It's not going to impact the action much, right? I mean, you can go to – if you look at the size hooks that Van Dam uses, they're huge. Like, I mean, he uses big hooks, and a lot of times they're short shank, extra wide gap, you know. And mm-hmm. that's – when you go to that extra wide gap, it's important to have a short shank. If the shank is too long, they're going to hook on each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's – I mean, if your hooks are snagged on each other, your bait's not working right, and you may as well almost have no hooks on there, you know, at the end of the cast – if you get hit and your hooks are tied together, the odds of hooking that fish are low. So that's really important. But I can't – I will say, dude, when I've got one hooked and I've got EWGs on, I feel much more confident in getting that fish into the boat. Yeah, it makes and sense. If you watch Van Dam fight a fish on a crankbait, I know you guys can picture this. He isn't gentle with him at all, dude. He, he uses a, a composite rod uh the biggest extra wide gap hooks he can use and he gets them into the boat so he's got the flexibility of that rod is taking some of that that strain out but he doesn't dink around with them man he gets them to the boat and uh he wouldn't have that type of confidence to put that much pressure on him i don't think without those type of hooks mm. yeah makes sense um good question and i'm with uh, i'm with you on on almost uh you know, at least, it, it, you know, even if your bait comes from the factory with the right, with, with quality hooks, they may not be the right size. You know, I mean, it's, it's, and every situation is different. So that's something that it's not, not, uh, you don't want to overlook that. Uh, next question. Uh, last week we talked about vehicles that we've owned and uh, right up next alley this, this week, we've got another one, boats that we've owned. So oh. um, how about, how about our, our best boat and uh let's just talk about the the best boat that we've ever owned it doesn't have to be like the uh the nicest but the the one we've got the best experiences with uh, and and one that uh, you wish you still had hanging around you're that towards one of you guys you know man i don't have the same exciting boat history you know that i maybe do with things that come on four tires but i gotta say the the one i have now the the single console z8 that i picked up this year kind of feels like once uh 100 times uh (laughs) got the wrong for the 10 but it finally just lays out better you know i fished out of that center console z9 for two and a half millennia and uh it just was it wasn't bad like the front deck was really enormous i mean you could like put a king size inflatable mattress up there if you wanted to take a nap when they weren't biting which was you know what i did most of the time but it's really nice having the side console, man. I, I would say that's my favorite boat. But, I mean, how many boats have you guys owned in your life? I would imagine both of you guys are like, what? Have, have you scratched 20? I have. I'm, has, huh? Yeah, I'm, as far as, like, team boats I had and then boats that I've won, yeah, I've, right. I've, I've sold over 20 bass boats. Um, 
probably one of my best boats was in the early 2000s, probably, I'm just going to take 2004. I think that's when the Triton got a little wider and that was definitely one of my favorite boats of all time. Um, yeah, any of those, I was with Triton from 99 to 09 and it seemed like every year those boats got better. It was, that's a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. They were, they were incredible boats, but, um, you know, 2004, 2005, they changed to that one design, and I really like that. So and they were strong. Used to run 225s on a 20 footer, and they would run every single one of them ran 20 plus, or 70 plus. I mean, it, they were they were fast boats. So that's impressive. Yeah, a 225 was like the benchmark uh, yep. up until I don't know about maybe 2010. That changed, man. Where it's 250, everyone runs now, but it's yep. kind of interesting. I had an I had an 07, a 21 foot 07 with a 250. That was, I mean, that thing ran 75 all the time. It was a super fast boat. But does anyone? I I think I know the answer to this, but does anyone do performance stuff to outboard engines? It's probably outlawed in tournaments, right? But is it outlawed in tournaments? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Josh kind of smiles. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, not no. Not that I've done it, dude, at all. I'm sure it would uh, would affect warranties and stuff like that, but there's definitely okay. uh, a crowd that is really big into that. There's a, there's a couple of places that are notorious for doing work on motors, and yeah, you see it like uh, I guess you see it like a lot with the uh, diesel trucks when they go out of warranty. Guys do all kinds <laughs> of aftermarket stuff, and you see that definitely on the uh, okay. on the bass boat side too a little bit. But um, we don't have anyone out here that really any any uh mechanics or whatever that that i know of that do that it's oriented so that's yeah, probably that, why i wasn't as familiar with it props a lot of people will blueprint props right and uh, that's the easy cheap way to to get a, get a couple extra miles an hour for sure um and, and that's that's pretty common and easy to do but you know man i just i the minute i do that i guarantee i'd hit something you know i don't get through one tournament without hitting something <laughs> uh even just like just a small thing but hey man i mean you put all that time and money into a prop it, done as soon as you yeah. kiss it right you don't want to be going to some shallow <laughs> body water back east instantly with that thing so yeah um what's your best know, boat josh i mean of course they get better and better every just like what you said every, every year they get better with with the boat itself the electronics like this boat i've got now z21 nitro is it's 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 the nicest by far that i've ever had um as far as sentimental value goes or like a boat that was just like that that worked out really well for us was like our first real bass boat that we had um it was a 1994 nitro 190 and uh so it was a 19 foot nitro it had a 150 mariner on it which was like a mercury carbureted and uh the boat it was it was like a red and white boat and the motor was just like the motor you had to get it started like on the first shot because if you didn't it would load up so much and like, I guess it would flood and you'd sit there for 30 minutes. Cranky. How did start? <laughs> but if, as long as you got it fired up and <clears throat> start, like it would never give you a problem. I mean, we never had, a, we never had one single problem with that boat or motor or a, I mean, anything on it, man. And it was, I mean, it was old when we got it, but it was, it was an amazing boat. And I remember we got rid of it because we we're like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to give us problems. It's, you know, we're, we're on borrowed time here. It's so old. We're going to, we're going to eventually have problems with it. 
And then like the next two or three boats after that, we had bought used boats and had massive issues with every one of them. It's like, dang, we should have just kept that, kept that thing. So we, um, we all do that to ourselves, right? We get rid of something that's working really good, thinking we're ahead of the curve. And then it just, uh, yeah, terrific <laughs> problems afterwards. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Rob. I think I think we need to go over worst boat too. Best boat's just too easy. All like, right. Well, yeah, I think so too. That's nice see, I don't want to. I, I was about to say that, dude. And I just don't want to. <laughs> not what I'm running. We don't now. have I'm to. Have have brands, brands, All right, but... you go ahead, Rob. You have one that was an absolute disaster. Yeah, well, it wasn't a disaster. It was just Blake interesting, and it was one of the. It was the first bass fiberglass bass boat we had, and it was a. Um, I can off it just because it's. It, it was a Skeeter Strata. It like, I don't even know how long. It was like 15 foot, three inches. I think it was teeny. <laughs> had a 50 horse. 15 foot. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm dead serious. It had a 50 horse force power. You've seen the force motors, right? Oh, yeah. We had one on an aluminum boat, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's not 50 horsepower. That's force power. That's like half of horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's no, probably like the metric that's equivalent, funny, right? Yeah. No power <laughs> tilt or trim, so you'd have to pull the motor up every time you load it up. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty good-sized guy. In the front of that boat, it looked like a crankbait when I was fishing off the front. <laughs> It would. It wanted to dive like. Nose down. Oh yeah, little wakes would come over the bow. It was a dandy. That's hilarious. But great memories. That thing was a lot of fun. And the funny thing about it is, is uh, I want to say I was like 15 or 16 when my dad and I, I said, let's go look at boats. And he ends up trading in our little 14 foot aluminum, and we bring this home. I don't think I don't think my mom spoke to my dad for like two weeks. She oh was, man. But it turned out we used it a lot. She thought it was going to sit in the garage and just have stuff stored on it. But your, your dad's a wise man. You go, you ask forgiveness, not permission. Correct. Correct. No kidding, it, uh, dude. It, it kind of helped nurture you into a lifelong fisherman, man. Right? I mean, I guess you already were, but you know, but look, no, look that where was it took you. It was a yeah. big part of it, and that was like in uh, I don't even know what year that boat was. It was probably mid '80s, and that had to be in in. Uh, 86 87 somewhere in that range and we were always going to a lot of the fishing seminars around the valley um you'd sign up for them and go to like an auditorium and i remember listening to um gary klein do an interview or um, a seminar and it was it was pretty cool do you remember hg listiak do you remember that name i don't think so 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 he used to have a radio show. It was on Sunday nights. It was a fishing show, basically. Basically what we're doing, but it was on the uh, KOI 55 on the radio. And I'd go sit in my bedroom Sunday nights and listen to it. And that's where you nice. learn about the seminars and stuff. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure some of the listeners that are listening to us will recall back then. Uh, it was a pretty cool deal. So they'd have- I appreciate the nostalgia of how much things have evolved on that front right like the information age of the internet how fast it's come on you yeah. just you forget dude and like you know i i don't really have any radio station stuff but man magazines used to be like oh. game changers right like every month when you get a magazine it was like you knew you were set for like a few days yeah and check this out nowadays right. like everything comes to us so quick and and you can just sit on your phone and look at it yeah I got a Bassmaster magazine in the mail two weeks ago. I still haven't looked at it. Like, yeah. Like years ago, agree, that dude. thing would I mean, be all like, wrinkled, wrinkled up and tore up because I went just went through it, right? 
now everything's on your phone. So you just don't, it's sad, but that's the way it is. You know, it's also things are compressed, right? When they come in, when they're trying to get that much information and nothing against anything that's actually printed, but like to get into a magazine, you know, in, into a one or two page article, like there's a lot more information that's just not being told there that can be told so easily on a, a YouTube video or yeah. a podcast like this or, or just whatever, man. It's just like, you know, a lot of the extra details, you just can't squeeze them into something like that. But I'm with you, Nick, dude. Like I used to literally, I mean, the stack of bass fishing magazines, Bass Master, Bass and yeah. Bass West, FLW, In Fisherman. I mean, dude, I I, I had them all, and yep. uh, I could I couldn't wait for every one. It was awesome, dude. Yeah. So like you're saying, ultimately we've moved in the best direction possible, I think, because the, all that information is there. It's on demand. When you can consume it, you can get the whole shebang. But there was just something about it, man. It was just cool to have. And then, and then, like, if you got enough things, you'd get, like, some free swag. Like, I remember I had, like, a BASS t-shirt, and that was, like, I wore that thing four <laughs> days a week, man. Like, you earned that, right? Like, you'd been, a, you'd subscribed for 12 months, and so you get the, like, a stupid trucker hat before they were cool. Or, like, you know, like, that was, like, some real valuable, valuable garb. Yeah, the worst hats possible. Oh, their, hat, like, their hat game yeah. was lame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were terrible, but I was. You know, I was like a nine-year-old. I was like, this hat's amazing. Like, I'm going to wear it to bed. <laughs> hey, dude. And they haven't, like, it, if you fish the opens and you don't have your jersey with the you patch on it, hat. you have to wear their hat, dude. And it'd be like the walk of shame because, like, everyone would be in line looking all cool. And then there's that one dude that's just like, wah, wah, wearing the, uh, the hat that they gave you. So You just described my life, Josh, whether it's in fishing or all other aspects. Hat, I'm, the, I'm just the one guy that's the womp, womp, right? Like, he's just bucking the trend in the wrong direction. I did wear the hat though in my open days because I didn't have a jersey or anything. I was rocking right. like the plain gray, like, and then it's got the real pointy like unicorn horn on the front because oh, yeah. there's no like shape to the front of it. Hundred percent. That's so classic, dude. It's a nice tangent. All right. So uh, okay, uh, moving forward, we've got um, one last question, and um, it's about fishing for Florida strain bass in the winter. And, and you know, it's interesting because to start by just kind of talking about what we've got around us here, we've got a mix on all of our lakes. We've got some lakes that have Northern strain and some that have Florida strain. And it's amazing to see how much more challenging these Florida strain bass are to catch uh, this time of year. I mean, do you guys see the same thing? Like it's our lakes, Saguaro and Canyon are dominated by uh, Florida strain. And they are like, we're getting to that point where I'm starting to tell folks like, you might be better off going to a different lake. Totally agree, especially the especially in the winter time. I mean, it's uh, uh, let's take Bartlett. Bartlett's full of northern strain fish. They're they're smaller, obviously, but you can catch them throughout the winter. And those other lakes, I mean, you can catch fish. You just it's just so hit and miss, man. And that's strictly due to the the Florida genetics. Strain fish. Yeah. The, yeah. And, sure. you know, it's like our game and fish, they, they try hard and they, and they put Florida strains in Roosevelt and we all lately we all been celebrated joking. it. Yeah. Well, you celebrate it cause there's going to be big fish in there probably, but you also joke that all of a sudden it's going to get really tough in the winter time, you know, and that lake. That's always been a lake where you can catch, you catch, catch the, the fire out of them in the winter time. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's uh, it definitely makes for exciting fishing when it's good, uh, and makes it pretty tough when it's uh, cold and and not ideal conditions. So mm-hmm. that's my take on it. Yeah, I don't know if we have like I, I, I don't know if I have any advice on on how to make those Florida strain bass bite. You know, the the biggest thing would be first off you have to find them right. So like you, you've got to understand that going into a like if you're gonna try to crack this code and figure this out on a lake that has got these finicky florida strain fish it might take you a couple days to really to, to really figure it out so the it's going to take you some time to find them but just because you found them doesn't even mean that you can catch them you also have to figure out when those biting windows are going to be so like i'll notice that sometimes you'll just you'll, you'll go fishing and, and you'll get the clue that okay the fish are this is what they're doing and this is where they're at then you go out the next time you go and if they're still there, you find whatever time of day they bite. And a lot of time it's first thing, or it might be between three and five o'clock once that water's warmed up. But uh, it's just going in with realistic expectations that you're not going to whack them all day. Um, you've got to figure out where they're at and then slow down and dial it in to whatever that feeding window is going to be. And, and it doesn't even mean a slow presentation. It just means, mm-hmm. okay, they're there. This is This is where they live. And now let's figure out how to catch them and when they're going to bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I that agree. window of time, right? Sorry, Rob, that was the, the I was going to say the exact, there, right? exact oh. same thing. It's the window is the biggest. The timing is is the biggest thing for sure. But to figure that out, like you said, you need to spend a bunch of time there. And I remember one time. time. Yep. One time, I probably told the story sixteen times. I don't have any good stories, but one time, Josh, were you in the marina at Canyon? Yeah, no, I, it's a story that doesn't involve the marina at Canyon. I was, I was huh. going to say, one time Josh twisted my arm and forced me to drive across the continental United States with a broken foot to Falcon Lake, and I had visions of grandeur and all these double-digit fish that I was going to catch, and I'm on crutches, and he's making me like back the boat down and then hobble down to the dock and all these things. And Dude, we were Falcon for like four days. Was that January, I think? It was. It was the middle of winter. And dude, yep, you caught one fish. Great. I didn't catch crap, which is no shocker there. And it was it was just one of my like humbling experiences with that where it's funny. And that was back when Falcon was like like top two or three lakes, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was on the downturn, but it was still phenomenal. You know, and we saw how good it was when we went back a few months <laughs> yeah. later. Uh but Are yeah, those I mean Florida's. Oh yeah. Yep, for yeah. sure, dude. Yep. And they were they exactly. Oh. I mean, it was it was ice cold and uh I think I mean it, that's just that's it to a t nick is yeah they were florida strained fish and no matter you're on the best lake in the country and they were still i mean we were in total search mode right like we didn't have any down we were like just scouting the lake out, trying to learn the lake but um you know yeah we didn't know okay this is this is the rock pile you need to be at they're gonna at bite at some point today let's wait <laughs> yeah. here you know what i mean yeah so uh that's that's a perfect example so that brings up another point, Josh. I mean, that's when fishing is that tough and you recognize it's that tough, maybe you do sit on a rock pile or on a point on it and just wait for that timing. That's how you're going to learn it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we that, talk that about timing, but but there's got to be a way to figure it out. And that's to maybe hang out in an area and, and um, just be persistent, more persistent sitting on stuff, you know? Good call, especially if you see any life. 
you see a right. couple of fish on the graph, you see some bait. It it's something that's unique. It just if something's different, you either wait or or come back a couple Revisit times. Revisit it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a good point, dude. Uh, I like it. One more thing I want to touch on, and, and uh, I think we're gonna get Ken on the guy that actually did these videos this coming week. I spoke to him, and nice. uh, he's gonna be available this week. So we'll go a little bit further in depth. But uh, Nick and I last week had talked about the telemetry study on bass that Todd Driscoll and the Texas Parks and Wildlife had done. Um, <clears throat> we talked about like the first few episodes of that series in the last podcast. If you haven't heard that, um, first off, go check out those videos on the Ken Smith YouTube page. But uh, you could also hear us talk about it in the last 20 or 30 minutes of the previous podcast episode. Uh, I watched the last one. <laughs> Uh, just the other day, and I think you guys did too. And um, so before we go any further, they did this all in the summertime. Todd is going to continue tracking these fish through the fall and winter, and I, I think he's going to get back together with Ken, and they're going to do another video series in the spring talking about the fall and winter movement. So I'll be very curious about that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if they move more because they shockingly hardly moved it all through the summertime which is which was interesting but um this last episode was all about the biggest fish that they had tagged and chipped it was the eight pounder and um it did some really crazy stuff and and rob and i were talking like it was i i I called it demoralizing you know as an (laughs) angler to hear how random this fish's life has been over the uh you know summertime but Ultimately, and, and I watched this thing while I was watching watching my kids, uh, so I definitely missed a few parts. So if I get some of this wrong, let me know. But my consensus was this fish, the water was in the high mid to high 80s. I mean, it's summertime on Toledo Bend. It's a southern reservoir that gets very hot. This thing lived in shallow water, 8 to 12 inches of water all summer underneath a primrose mat and gator grass mat which is like gator grass and primrose is not like beautiful lush hydrilla it's basically <clears throat> bank grass so huh. i mean it, it comes it makes a mat and i've caught a lot of fish on toledo punching that gator grass but that's mo- been more in the springtime like it blows my mind that a fish would stay that shallow in that type of water in the summertime did that shock you rob Oh, for sure. And they and they said it was like brown, nasty water and <laughs> yeah. hot. Like what is that what is he feeding on in there? What I mean that's has to be bluegill, right? There has to be, be right? some bluegill up there. Yeah, there's got yeah. I don't know. It's just uh like you said, it's demoralizing. It's uh that fish should not be there. He should Dude, be on a point like, in fifteen foot of water. That's like that beginner's luck giant fish that you see pictures of on the internet where someone like totally kept it and is going to eat Hilarious. it. And they're like crushing them, man. Like I got this and no disrespect to them, but like, that's it. Right. Like you just, you don't really know what's going on. You just show up and, hey. you know, th- catch that fish. I'm, I, I got you, a grimace from Josh here. It, well, that's hilarious, dude. You you called it perfectly, Nick, because someone caught this thing. dude. Oh. They did. A dude was fishing and he calls. <laughs> so he calls Todd. And uh, he, he's like, hey, man, I got this thing in my live well, and it's got your number on it, you know. Uh, 
he's he's and he's got it like in like a bass tracker live well it's like a smaller live well and you know todd's like okay well first off thanks so much for calling me how's the health of this fish because we don't want this thing to die you know we're trying to follow it so um the guy had already moved like a couple miles into the main lake with his fish in his boat and he's like if you wouldn't mind could you please like take it back to that mat where you caught it and release it and um he did dude and the fish continued yeah very cool the fish continued to live in this mat for <laughs> quite a while longer. I think four to six more weeks is what he said. And ultimately, it finally came out of this cove and lived on a nondescript flat for the rest of the summer, which is another one. Like, And did we talk about this last week, Nick, where they were living on the flats? Did we talk no, about the amount of so. fish? So uh, this was discussed in the earlier videos, but a lot, a huge percentage of these fish just lived on nondescript flats. So wow. uh, pretty interesting. Like, you know, there was a, a good amount that would live on the on the points and relate to the channels. But a big chunk of these fish would just live on these nondescript flats and, and, you know, kind of just somewhere where you would never fish for them. And it makes me wonder if it's the pressure of Toledo Bend that makes so many fish do that. Where do they just they finally are like, let me go where someone's not fishing every five minutes. Like, do you, think, the- you guys think that's part of it? Or are they just random, dude? Probably just probably just random, but that's where the new electronics are coming into where you can go across a flat and find that that random tree out in the middle of nowhere. True. You know, and you're fishing for fish that are not being fished for. Those are the yeah. sneaky fish. That's the yeah. you know, you hear about a sneaky hole and yeah, you're yeah. totally right on that, dude. That isolated spot that you can go to on the second or third day of the tournament that no one's fished and, and have a fresh fish. But yeah. um one the last other thing was was pretty interesting was um todd had mentioned that almost zero fish actually lived out in the abyss hmm. through the summertime so like really? you, toledo's a lake where you look at it and there's timber <clears throat> all the way across the lake and you sit there and wonder man are there fish living on this timber out over like suspended in this timber out over 50 feet in no man's land and he had mentioned that Pretty much all the bass did live in traditional bass fishing depths. So, uh, I mean, I guess being that time of year, you're not going to find fish in 40 or 50 feet, you know, uh, over there this that time of year. So that was kind of interesting, but um, there just weren't any fish on the abyss. And now it's different. If you go to like a table rock or Lake Mead, you're going to find fish out in the abyss. But mm-hmm. on Toledo Bend, there were no fish living out there in no man's land. They were all just in a traditional structure or bank related depth. What even if they were on a flat, they were still in twelve feet, like mm-hmm. the bass is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, yeah. like you we wanna like make bass in anything, probably in hunting too, you wanna make them like as smart as a human so we can like break it down, analyze and like know like point A to point B how they're thinking and how they're reacting and and then you hear stuff like that and you're like, yeah, I guess they're just an animal that has like a brain the size of a walnut at best. And it's just doing whatever instinctually it feels like it needs to do that day. And, and that's about as far as it goes. Right. Yeah. They're just like, they're just like guys. They worry about spawning and eating. <laughs> that's right. Well, you joke about that gator grass, dude, maybe he had like two months left on his lease. Right, like he he'd, he'd prepaid <laughs> through July, so he's like, well, he's like, I'm gonna tough it to out. Yeah, that's right. I'm not moving. <laughs> Apparently so, dude. Yeah, he was an old school fish man. 
<laughs> Hilarious. I don't know. Very interesting stuff. It's, uh, I'm going to rewatch the series, and I can't wait to see. I can't wait to talk to Ken about it more because yeah. he spent a lot of time with Todd, and it'll be interesting to get his take on it. He's a super, you know, accomplished, smart fisherman in that region, and uh, we'll see what surprised him, what didn't surprise him, and uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully we didn't beat a dead horse with this topic over the last two episodes for our listeners. But I think it was really interesting, man, and and I'm not Very done with it yet. So, <laughs> so that horse is going to get beat some more. No, no doubt. I think it's fascinating, right? Like we've all wondered. So it's cool that, you know, a widespread study can be conducted like that, tracked over time and then interpreted by people who are, you know, trained to know how to interpret stuff like that. That's awesome. That's spot on with, with him being a good interpreter, right? Like, you know, I think there are a lot of folks that uh, work for game and fish that don't fish. Mm -hmm. And like you get people out there doing these shocking studies and stuff and, um, they they understand what's happening there, but to put it into use and to talk about it on a practical spectrum to fishermen, it's a it's a totally different it's deal. It's another man. level, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 So, um, anyways, I think uh, that's about all we've got this week, Nick. What uh, what's your battery percentage over yeah, there, bro? Yeah, it's funny. I just have to make a joke. My battery on my laptop is now operating around where I consider my peak performance it's at 10 percent. so <laughs> the bottom 10 is usually where i really shine did no. your dad get in his car and drive off or is he still at home nah, you know he, he i the chinese fire joke god love my old man he i'm gonna turn i'm already him and it's only gonna get worse as i get older but he has this crazy ocd so whatever that fire drill out in front of his car was dude he was probably like reorganizing his 31 packs of kleenex I bet like they weren't perfectly in like a cubicle like storage arrangement, so he had to like redo it. <laughs> God love him. Well, give him our best, dude. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for jumping on early. Anything else before we roll? That's it for me. Yeah, I think so, man. Everyone have a good week. Thanks for listening. Continue to give us good questions and answers, and uh, we appreciate you. We kind of are trying to build some new things into the podcast. We say that a lot, but this this winter is going to be it. I think we've got some good stuff coming, and that's going to be great. 100%. 100%. Yeah, excited for that, guys, and uh, thanks again. Hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the show, guys. Hope you all get to do a little bit of fishing this week, and we will be back at you next Monday.